Great to see you guys. Welcome to uh, part two of this three-part series called Loving Mondays. It, please take out your phones. And um, if you did not yet text the word drama to, what was it? Two, two, three, three, three. Um, go ahead and do that now. But uh, take out your phones. I've got a couple of questions and would like for everyone to participate. If you were here last week, this is especially for you. But if you're new here today or you missed last week's message, play along. Okay, play along anyway. Here is question number one. Okay, so just answer honestly. How many of the three G's did you do last week? How many of the three G's did you do last week? Text that letter, um, zero, one, two, three, or um, if you're letter E, what in the world are you talking about? What are the three G's? Maybe you fell asleep for that part of the message or you uh, didn't get a chance to listen yet. So the three G's, this was this 3G challenge. We are all, okay, a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Awesome. (laughs) Hopefully that won't be a trend for the next 35 minutes or so. All right. So the 3Gs, I'm glad you asked. What are you talking about? So who remembers with me the 3Gs? It was grumble, gossip, and glory. Grumble, gossip, glory was the, were the 3Gs. And it's this 3G challenge. And really, here's the deal. How do faith and work intersect? Well, we, we said for the next three weeks, here's the challenge. For the next three weeks, you do not get to grumble at work. You don't get to grumble about work. For the next three weeks, no gossiping, okay? How many of you guys were that extraordinarily difficult? Okay, there's gossip going everywhere. And the final one was seeing everything we do as for the glory of God. And so the, the polls show most of you have no idea what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, boy, 9% of you nailed all three. That is awesome. For those of you, I like the honest people who said, no, I didn't get any. I just it blew it. All right. You got two more weeks, two more weeks for this 3G challenge. And one more time, it is don't grumble, don't gossip, and everything is for the glory of God. And so um, if you missed last week's message, tune in. You'll find out more about that. Maybe give you a little bit more motivation. If you just walked out last week and completely forgot about the 3G challenge, you can re-up right now. Okay, we got two weeks left to go. So I encourage you to do that. All right, so last week, for those of you who didn't know what I was talking about, last week, we began this Loving Monday series. We, the primary idea, the primary truth that we wrestle with from God is that work is actually a gift from God. Some of you are like, no, no, it is. It is actually a gift from God. We, we looked at last week that it's actually good, that it's something that we need in our lives for our own human flourishing. And so it's not... I've got to go to work, it's, I get to go to work, okay? And now, uh, that's what we talked about last week. So here's question number two, if we could pull that up. So that was great. And maybe if you were here, you were like, oh, that was cool, and I learned some stuff, and it was pretty entertaining, and whatever, okay? But here's the real question. I need you to be brutally honest. Okay, when you walked out of here last Sunday, when you walked out of here last Sunday, and you, know, you actually then started your work week, 
how helpful was the message in terms of your actual week? Like when your week began and then through the week, did the sermon translate over? And just be really honest, you will not hurt my feelings, okay? You can answer no. I know some of you want to answer no. It was not helpful for my work week, okay? So feel free. You're being way too nice, all right? So yeah, and if I'd have heard, it might have been helpful. Thank you for playing along if you didn't hear. And I just want to say, if you answered E, we have this incredible resource. We, we have a podcast that you can subscribe to. It's totally free. You can catch the messages. They literally will go up later on in the same day that we have church service. And then we also have videos every single week that we put up online on our website totally for free. So, you know, it, it's great. You can catch up and, you know, you can catch up on your mobile device or anything um, to be able to, to tune back in. So you guys are still voting, but it looks like um, that there were about 20% of us, 19, that said, yeah, man, that was very helpful. You know, I, I took the challenge. I, I wrote the sticky note on my mirror. I don't, I don't got to. I get to go to work. You know, you kind of got your mind wrapped around it. But for a lot of others of us, it was either, you know, pretty helpful or you know, it was a little bit helpful or it wasn't helpful or, you know, maybe if I'd been there, it might have been helpful. So there were a lot of us and that message didn't necessarily translate to us loving Mondays. OK, so and, and this is what I really want to talk about today, because you see what we talked about last week. It's an essential foundation for understanding about work and about us and about God and just that whole deal. It, we, it's critical as a foundation. But as many of you realized in your work week, it will only take us so far, won't it? Because what happens after you get out of here and you get into your work week? What happens? Work happens, doesn't it? I mean, all kinds of stuff's going on. And, you know, whether it's work or school or, you know, you're taking care of the kids or whatever it is. But then all of a sudden, there's all sorts of challenges. It's difficult. And yeah, work is good and it's a gift, but man, not this week. Oh no, you haven't seen my week this week. So here's what I want to do just to, just to give you guys a chance for those of you who are faithful to that 3G challenge. And you said, you know, I haven't grumbled in a whole week and I got two weeks to go for the next 60 seconds. I want to lift the grumbling challenge ban. Okay. And for the next 60 seconds, I want you to tell me what is it about your work that is challenging. This is your chance to grumble and blow off some steam. And let me tell you, it felt good at 9.30 service, okay? So 11 o'clock, I want to hear from you. Just call it out. What is it about your work that makes it challenging? Go ahead. Boss. Okay. Keep going. Cell phones? Telephones. Just hate that ringing telephone. Keep going. Too much. Too much work. What? One more time. Shirk dust? What, what are we saying? Shared desks. Thank you. I had no idea what shirk dust was. Okay. Sorry. All right. What else? Come on. There's more. People are stupid. All right. We're really getting into it now. Okay. Good. Politics. Yeah. Just keep rolling. Okay. I missed it again. People eating your lunch. What's wrong with people? Oh my gosh. People eating my lunch. Okay, let's keep going. Come on, feels good. 
fruit flies in the office. What? Man. Fruit flies. This is a lot different than first service. I'll just tell you that. Okay. What else we got? What else we got? Not enough time. Too many meetings. Okay. No heat. Okay. Excess. Children. Okay. Long hours, right? What else did we say? I missed one. Taking the metro. Who, who, who says traffic? Oh, man. Okay. That's the teacher right there. Annoying parents. Okay. Annoying children. Okay. All right. We're, we're going to have to put a cap on this. Um, so this is the deal. You come in here last week, you hear this great message about, oh man, you know, God, is, or, uh, God has given us this gift, it's called work, and it's good. But then guess what? This happens, right? All this happens. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, that's fine, but this is happening. God, how do I deal with all this? I can't love Mondays. This is my reality through my work week, right? Many of us, that is where we find ourselves. And so here's the thing. All right, there is actually something we're going to talk about today that transcends all of these. It actually makes you, it, it, it enables you to actually enjoy your Mondays and to be able to thrive in your work week, even in spite of all these things. Because you know what all these things are? These are all what's. These are all what's. These are all the thing, these are all the what's that we face during our week. These are all the what's that we deal with, okay? This is what we have to do to get through our week. These are the what's. What I want to talk about today is the thing that can transcend that. It's the why factor. It's not about the what's, it's about the why. So if you want to fill this in, we're going to unpack this for the next few minutes. It's not what you do. It's why you do what you do. It's not what you do or what you deal with or what you face. It's why you do what you do. And that is everything. So the question is, why do you go to work? Or why do you go to school? Or why are you home taking care of the kids? Why do you go to work. And as we said last week, if you weren't here, it's not uh, because I just got to go to work. I mean, I got to pay the bills. I just, I have to. Okay. It's not, that's not the answer to this question. This is a deep question. In fact, it is so deep that there's only one person that I know who is qualified to really help us gain insight and understanding into the why. And that person is Jesus Christ. And we are going to take a look at an interaction that Jesus had with his 12 disciples. If you turn in your Bible, if you brought a Bible, otherwise you'll, you'll find the words on the screen and, and um, on the back of your outline. It's in the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, the 10th chapter of Mark's account of Jesus' life. And um, we start in the 35th verse. It says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. So these are two of Jesus' disciples coming to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> Can you believe this statement? I mean, that's amazing, right? A little background. This is toward the very end of Jesus' ministry. So 
They have been with Jesus for years and years. They, they have a relationship that is so incredibly tight with Jesus that they were just at a point where they could even make a statement like this and it probably didn't seem foolish. You ever have a friend or someone close to you and you could just say something totally ridiculous, but it was cool because they knew you so well. Okay, so we, we can't possibly appreciate how close they were to Jesus when they said this. Okay, we're just getting kind of a little window in reading a sentence, but, but this was a deep relationship. The second thing you got to know is that James and John, these boys were bold. I mean, they, 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 were, they were shoot from the hip kind of guys. And so they, also part of their personality was they would just come out with stuff like this, all right? So they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus said, kind of playing along, what do you want me to do for you? They said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, what they're actually asking there is that, when Jesus, like after Jesus is crucified and dead and buried and resurrected, and he then ascends into heaven and he's sitting there in his glory, one of them wants to be on the right and one of them wants to be on the left. The two greatest places of honor in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, Jesus says a lot of, things that, that kind of takes a little bit of understanding, okay? What he's saying there, this is actually a reference to the fact the cup that he's going to drink and the baptism he's been baptized with, this is referring to the incredible suffering that he would undergo for the sins of the world. This is the, the torture that he would endure on the cross. That ultimately, he's like, do you really think what's about to happen to me, which I've been trying to explain to you guys, I'm going to give my life for the sins of the world. Do you really think that you can take that on? Now check out what they say. You got to love James and John. Oh, we can they answered. <laughs> Jesus said to them, oh, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And Jesus, in this kind of very sobering part of the, of the account here, Jesus is actually telling them, yes, you know what? You are going to suffer the same fate that I suffer. And the reality is that hundreds of Jesus followers would actually suffer the same fate. They would be martyred for their faith because they could not stop talking about what they had seen and what they had heard. They literally kept saying, we have seen Jesus. Yeah, he was killed. Yeah, we saw him. He died up on that cross. He was put in the tomb. But guess what? He's alive. He's appeared. We have seen him. And literally Nero and, and others who, you know, they stand before all the, the powers in the land. And they say, listen, just stop spreading this stuff around. Stop saying this or you'll be killed. And they refused to do it. And so Jesus is basically predicting. He's telling them, this is what's going to happen to you. You will give your life on account of me. And that's one of the reasons that all of us here who would c c call ourselves followers of Jesus and say that we believe in him, we actually attribute a lot of it back to those early folks who, who were willing to go to their graves rather than say something that they didn't believe. So Jesus is basically like, look, this isn't up, up to me to grant, okay? Not my call, uh, but you will have that horrible death. So look forward to that, okay? So it says in verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 of Jesus' 12 disciples, his closest 12, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You know why they became indignant? James and John got there first, man. They asked that question 
first. That's why they were so seething mad. You know why? They wanted a slice of that action. They wanted a part of the greatness. And so um, it doesn't say it in the text, but what we see happens next is that Jesus calls them all together. So you got 10 that are absolutely indignant with the other two. And, and I just read into it with my kind of my own imagination. Okay. So, so I don't know how you see this text, but for me, I just imagine the 10 are furious and they're in the faces of James and John. And you can just imagine Jesus is kind of like trying to break up a fight, you know, because he's got, he's got so many different personalities in that group of 12 coming from different contexts and backgrounds and belief systems. And so, you know, I can just hear him being like, guys, 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 cut it out. Okay. Just relax. Just relax. Peter, put the sword down. Peter, put the sword down. All right. Okay. Guys, come and sit down. Let's go back over this one more time. Okay. And this is what Jesus says to them. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, they all wanted to be great. That's why they were so mad. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant down here. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then, just to make sure that they really understood this upside down kingdom of God approach to what greatness really is, he drives the point home with this verse, which is absolutely outlandish. Verse 45, then Jesus says to them, for even the son of man, now this was a way of referencing, he was referencing himself as the Messiah, as the son of God, the chosen one. He's saying, for even the son of man, even me, okay? Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus is saying is like, man, guys, You've totally got this backwards. You don't know what greatness looks like in the eyes of God. So think about this. If there's anyone who deserved to be served, it was Jesus. Even if you don't necessarily believe that he was God. I mean, this is one of the greatest people to ever walk the face of the earth. Unbelievable teacher. Historical accounts outside of the Bible talk about all the healings and all the wonders and all the things that he did. But just on his teachings, his ethics alone, this guy was absolutely brilliant. He says, but guess what? I didn't come to be served. I came for one purpose, and that was to serve. And it's even crazier if you actually believe that Jesus was God in human flesh. He said, I mean, I could be worshiped every second of my life here, but I'm just here to serve. That's what I'm here to do. What we see in this, and we're going to connect this back to the why we do what we do in just a second, is what Jesus is telling us. Look, I came here for one reason, to serve this world. I came here to make a difference in this world. And so guess what? If you are here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are trying to live the way that Jesus teaches and follow after him, then it's so clear what our marching orders are. Jesus said, didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Guess what? We're here to serve, period. We are here to serve. We are here to make a difference in this 
world. Now, if you're here today and you are just kind of checking this church out, maybe this is your first time uh, in church in a very long time. You're like, I don't even know what I believe about God or Jesus or anything. Like, whoa, hold on, back up a second, okay? I just want to say this. We are so thrilled that you're here. Um, and we just, I just invite you to just lean out of this whole thing, okay? You, you, don't, this, you don't have to serve. This is not your deal. But if you are here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is ultimately what Jesus tells us we are to do. We are to serve. We are to make a difference in this world. And it's even better than that. It's not just about marching orders, okay? Well, I guess I'm supposed to serve, so I better go out and serve. My favorite quote from Jesus is found in, in the book of Acts, which is the, the history of the early church, the 20th chapter, verse 35, where Jesus is quoted as saying this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you've heard this before, but this is so profound because it's not just about marching orders to serve. Oh, my mission is to serve. I'm supposed to just serve. No, 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 no. What this verse is telling us is actually when we give, when we serve, we are even more blessed than when we receive or when we are served by somebody else. Now think about this. This makes sense to us. Don't you love to receive? Isn't that awesome? I mean, let's just be real, okay? It's great. It's a lot of fun. You get a gift or somebody does something really nice for you. That's awesome. But you know what's interesting about that? It wears off, doesn't it? It, doesn't, it won't last you. It's fun to receive, but it's not fulfilling. What's fulfilling is to give. And this is a profound insight that Jesus gives us here, is that ultimately the greatest blessing is in giving. The most fulfillment, the most significance in our, our lives comes through giving, through serving, through making a difference. So let's connect it to this whole idea of why we do what we do. Informed by this understanding from Jesus, let's revisit this question. So, why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Beyond the superficial surface stuff, okay? Why do you go to work? Now, said in the light of what we just learned from Jesus, let me ask it this way. Why does your work matter? Why does it matter? Ultimately, why does your work matter? How does it make a difference in this world? If we are called to serve, if we are called to make a difference, why does your work matter? How does it make a difference? If you can get to the why, if you can figure out why you do what you do, it can overcome all the what's that you do, that you have to deal with. But you have to wrestle with why. So um, there was a, a practice that was used, and this has been used uh, throughout uh, the centuries in different wars with prisoners of war. There's a, a little torture device or technique. And um, what it involves doesn't sound like anything too big of a deal on the surface, but it's, it's been used all over the world. And what, what happens is that a prisoner of war, um, you know, they, they're given a task. And the task is you need to dig a hole. And so the, the prisoner sets out to the task of digging a hole, takes several hours to dig out this hole. And then um, upon finishing the hole, they're immediately told to fill the hole back in and move over a couple feet and start again. Dig another hole. They dig that hole, they fill that hole back in. And they're told to do it again. 
They dig the hole, fill it back in. They do it again. They dig the hole and they fill it back in. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's not a bad torture thing. I mean, I'm thinking medieval, I'm thinking waterboarding, I'm thinking, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But man, sign me up for that one because that doesn't sound too bad. And on the surface, it's really not, right? I mean, you're getting a little workout, you're, you're outside, um, you're doing something. I mean, you're not in solitary confinement, you're not chained down, you're not being cut up or something, you know? So as far as that goes, this, boy, this isn't bad at all. Why was this such an effective torture device. Anybody know why? No purpose. There's absolutely no point to this activity. The thing about this is that psychologically, it is completely demoralizing. You know, with every shovel full of dirt that you dig, that ultimately it's not going to matter. This is just getting filled in as soon as I'm done. And this was used psychologically to completely demoralize and take all the hope out of the people that you were holding and uh, trying to manipulate. Well, there are many of you in this room, and this is a little too close to home for you right now. Because the reality is that week in and week out, you go to work and you know what it feels like for you? You feel like the first half of the day, you dig a hole. And then you come back from lunch in the second half of the day, you fill that hole back in. And then you show up again on Tuesday and you do it again. And you show up on Wednesday and you dig another hole and you fill it back in. And there are some of you, and this is exactly why your work is completely miserable to you. It's because you don't see any point in it. You don't see any purpose to it. You don't see how it's making a difference. You don't see why it matters. Now, just over a hundred years ago, about 2,000 miles south of where we sit today, there was a lot of hole digging going on. The construction of the Panama Canal was underway. And, um, the conditions weren't much better than a lot of the conditions for prisoners of war, actually. The French actually, for those of you history buffs know, the French actually began this endeavor to take this 50-mile stretch of land to, to connect these two oceans. The, the, the French embarked upon the project, and for years and years they went at it. And the conditions were so bad between the disease, between the rainy season that lasted half the year, between the hazards of the explosives that were being used and and all the different things that were taking place, did you guys know that 20,000 French men died constructing the Panama Canal? In fact, the French got to the point, it was so bad, they abandoned it. They were done. And um, so the, the U.S. took it on under Teddy Roosevelt. And what's crazy is the pay wasn't good, Conditions were still deplorable. And over the course of the next few years, 5,000 Americans would give their lives. So the death toll was up to 25,000 constructing this canal. But you know what? There were tons of American men who flocked to this thing to do this. And you know why they did? Teddy Roosevelt called the Panama Canal one of the great works of the world. See, these men, they came to work on the Panama Canal, risking their lives on literally an hour-by-hour basis, suffering unbelievable 
what? Okay, way worse than what we have up on this board, with all due respect, okay? And they did it because they knew that what they were working on was something that was going to have an unbelievable difference. It was going to make a difference to our country. It, in terms of the commerce, it was, it was going to be absolutely unbelievable. In fact, it changed the way the whole world did business. And so these guys were able to deal with all the what's and dig and dig and put their lives on the line because they knew why they did what they did. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to be get, get beyond what it is that we do, what it is we deal with, and why it is that we do what we do. Now, you may be here and... Uh, you're like, Derek, that's great. You know, I like the story about the Panama Canal and that's, that's awesome, but you gotta understand, man, I'm just pushing paper, okay? Uh, I work for some huge outfit and really like if I was gone, they probably wouldn't hardly even miss me. And, you know, I'm just basically helping someone's bottom line be a little bit better. And, um, you know, there's, there's not really this noble work that I'm doing. You know, uh, there's some of you, you, you can, you clearly can point to, to a noble cause. You can see how it's making a difference. But for a lot of you, you're like, no, 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 you just don't understand. I'm just making somebody else richer. Okay. And it's not me. So, um, it's just really, really challenging to endure. And what I want to say is that every single job matters. Every single job matters. I'm talking about the legal ones, by the way. Okay. Um, (laughs) because the reality is God is at work in every single one of them. God is at work. So think about this for a minute, all right? One of the most common things that we pray is something that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines in there, it goes, you know, give us this day our daily bread, right? We've prayed that before. Many of us have, you know, God, just please take care of my needs, you know, whatever those needs are. And when when we're on it and we think about it, uh, later on in the day or later on in the week, we, we, we remember when we're, when we're on our game, we remember to actually come back and thank God for providing for us, don't we? And probably the most common prayer is what? It's grace, right? It's praying before you eat. And what are you doing? Thank you, God, for this food. You're thanking God for providing for you. Now, just think with me for a second. How many hands went in to the meal that you were, were just praying a blessing for just before you ate it. How many hands went into that? From, from the growing of, of the, the crops to whoever built the machinery that plowed the fields to the people that helped to distribute those across the country or across the world to the, to the, you know, the grocery store employees who stocked the shelves to the cashier who rang up your order, you know, to the person who built your car or the metro line that got, or the bicycle or whatever it was that got you to the grocery store and back. I mean, think of all the hands that went in so that you could have that meal. It's staggering. And it's the same thing with our safety, with our freedom, all the hands that go in, okay? We thank God, and rightly so. We thank God. But how does God provide? How does God do it? Through all of you. That's how God provides Through what you do, you are ensuring the integrity of your company or an industry. You are providing for safety. You are producing goods and services that ultimately go to help people. 
or to just benefit human lives. So when you think about it that way, the reality is every single one of us has a job that matters. We just don't really spend any time thinking about why it matters. And that's the trick. When I was 16 years old, I, I took a job at an amusement park near my house in Cincinnati, Ohio. So it was about 25 minutes away. It was called King's Island, third largest amusement park at the time. So it was a big, big park. And uh, I just, I went there because quite frankly, I needed a summer job and I really wanted a girlfriend. Okay. So just being honest, um, I really just wanted a girlfriend. And um, I just figured, you know what? There's about 3,000 employees that that park employs during the summer. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sign up here as a minimum wage job. And let me tell you, it was just a job. It was nothing more than a job, just hourly pay. And, um, but I did get the girlfriend. So that was, that was cool. That was a little bonus. Um, Cause I was smart. I didn't sign up in the rides area. I didn't do the food. I didn't do the games. That's where all the guys wanted to work. But where were the ladies working? They were working in merchandise. So that's where I went. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> Plan your work and work your plan, right? Okay, so, so I, I went in and, and I'm working merchandise in a shop where there's like two guys and like 23 girls on, the, on our team, okay, on the payroll. And um, I'm, I'm working in this candy shop. It's right, right outside of where this Vortex roller coaster was that like had like six upside down loops like in corkscrews and stuff. It was awesome, okay? But I wasn't doing that. No, I was selling the candy right underneath of that awesome roller coaster. And so here was the thing, besides getting my girlfriend, which was the really superficial piece of what I was doing, um, what was I doing? I was taking kids who were already hopped up, like all sugared up, and I was giving them even more candy. You know what I'm saying? That was, that was my job. How was their redeeming value in that? I, I was just selling sugar. That's that's, that's all that was going on. And in fact, um, Kings Island had a hard time retaining these employees because every single one of them, as soon as the new school year started or as soon as college started, everybody just wanted to bail. And because, you know, there was not really, we were just kind of digging holes and filling it back in, you know, giving kids candy and, you know, making money for somebody because I wasn't getting paid much of anything. But they had this really um, good technique that they used to keep us. They wanted us all the way till the park closed at the end of October. And what they would do is every, every paycheck, they'd give you a 25 cent per hour bonus and they would put that in the top right part of your pay stub. You couldn't get the bonus unless you finished the entire season. So you start accumulating all those hours. You say, oh, my, pay, my bonus is a $475. You know, for a 16 year old kid, man, like you're sticking around, okay? But that's the only reason that we stuck around was because it was about just getting that bonus, all right? So... Last year, I took my family to Walt Disney World in Florida, okay? So back at another amusement park and um, walking around and selling 16-year-old, seeing 16-year-old kids selling, trying to sell sugar to my kids, okay? So it was kind of fun. Um, but you know what? Kings Island and Walt Disney World could not be more different. Yes, they're both amusement parks. There's kids everywhere. There's candy everywhere, okay? But they could not be more different. Here's the thing about Disney World. Every single person who walks into that park 
has like the biggest smile, like a permagrin on their face. Now this is, this is crazy to me, okay? Because here's the thing about Disney. You practically have to take out a second mortgage on your house. I mean, you might as well, when you get in to the park, like when you, when you go to like swipe through and get your ticket, you might as well just give them your whole wallet. And you might as well give them your bank account information too and just say, you know what? Just whatever you got to take out, you know, just, just go ahead and take that out. And literally, you can feel yourself getting poorer as you're walking in like with every step. <laughs> you just feel like you're just getting, it's like extortion. I mean, it is crazy. And you're laughing because you know, because you've been there and you've done this. It is insane. It is insane. But here's the crazy thing. Everybody is going through that phenomenon. They're becoming poorer by the second as they walk through that park. And you know what? Everybody is like the happiest you've ever seen them in their entire lives. I mean, I got a little picture. Can we show that, Myron? All right. So, so this is my crew, you know, and, um, we're just so happy. I could not be happier to just get my bank account drained into the red. It, it, and and here's, here's why. Here's why. Don't miss this. Because every single person who works for Disney, starting for the bus driver who takes you from the airport to you know the employee who's selling you candy to the executive to anybody you see in the park to the cast members and everybody in between, all right? Every single person at Disney is focused on one thing. You know what that is? It is to create a magical experience for you. And everybody, everybody knows that that's why they're there. It is unbelievably awesome. This picture here the reason that all five of us are in this is because there was an employee and literally their job is to stand in that room and take as many iPhones and cameras off of the, you know, whoever's got them and just sit there and click like, do you need another? You good? They will, they will sit there with a smile on their face and click and click and click and take as many pictures that you want totally for free. It's shocking. There's actually something for free at Disney. Okay. <laughs> but um, they will do this. And the reason that they will do this is because they understand something. They understand that they are creating an unbelievable memory for you. So that every time now that I take a look at this picture, it brings back this flood of memories of this incredible time that I got to have with my family. See, the whole company, every employee is rallied around why they do what they do. I was at Kings Island as a 16-year-old kid, and it was all about what I did. I sold sugar. Every Disney employee understands, you know what? This is why we do what we do. We're here to create a magical experience for every person so they would leave a little better off than they came with. Not financially, though. That's for sure, okay? So some of you out there have the extraordinary privilege, and you probably take it for granted. You work for a company similar to Disney that is crystal clear on the why we do what we do. And I cannot tell you what a gift that is if you work for a why company. They remind you of your mission and they remind you why what you do makes a difference. Some of you are in a field or an industry where you just inherently know why you do what you do. You know how it makes a difference. But for all the rest of us, we get to hear these cool stories, but then what's our reality? We don't work for a Y company like that, right? You don't work for a Y company. So here's the thing. 
just because your company or your organization or, you know, whatever doesn't remind you of why you do what you do doesn't mean you can't find your why. Okay. You got to find your why. Now, some of you are like, yeah, but seriously, I just, just know why. I just know it's not there. You don't know what I do. I'll talk to you later, you know, and you can, I, I'll send you a good email and you have fun with this one, okay? Um, here's, how, here's how you can actually try and do this if you're like, there's just nothing. I mean, there's just, it's just pointless. There's no why, okay? So often the way you find the why is actually by looking in the rearview mirror. And what I mean by that is ask yourself this question. Why did you take that job in the first place? What drew you to that particular field or career path? Because there was something beyond the salary, beyond the notoriety, you know, all that, beyond the fact that it was cool, your friend said you should apply. What was it, what was it that initially drew you to this and thinking, you know what, I can contribute here. I can make a difference here. This is noble. This is something that adds value to our society. Why did you sign up in the first place. Or maybe you need to do a little homework on why your company or your organization was founded in the first place. Because there was a day when it did not exist. And someone came along and said, you know what? There's a need and we've got to meet it. And here we go. And maybe you just need to go and do a little research on exactly how did your company or organization get its beginnings. And then you can figure out a little bit more about why it is that this matters and then it makes a difference. Or even if you have kids, okay, you have kids and you're home with the kids and you're like, man, it's just, this is just, oh, I'm just so many what's, okay? Help me discover the why. Okay, here's the question. Why did you have kids in the first place? And I don't mean it like some of you are chuckling, okay? You know, it's too late. You got them now, all right? So, but what was it about the idea of having kids, you know, that for you was like, yes, I want to do that. Get back in touch with that. That's the why factor right there. That's why we do what we do. And that makes all the difference. Okay, so we're going to close out with uh, this last story. And then we're going to pray and go. So I heard a talk recently. And uh, in the talk, the guy was, uh, was sharing about how he had two friends that were in identical industries, but had completely different stories in how they viewed their work. So he said, I have these two buddies and they're both home builders. So they both did pretty well in their respective fields. They were working for different home building companies and um, they've been at it for a while. They didn't really have any big financial concerns. They've been doing it long enough to where it wasn't like super stressful. They'd kind of proven themselves and you know, they're kind of in a rhythm now in terms of their, their work life as home builders. But the one guy was completely miserable. He said, you know, week in and week out, it's the same thing. We go, we work on a house, you know, we get it built, we sell it, make a little bit of money for you know, everybody, and then people move in, and then we start another house, and we do it all over again. I've been doing this over and over for years and years. And you know, one of the sober reminders is like, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll demolish some houses and you just kind of realize, wow, how long are these houses that we're building today? How long are they going to last anyway before they get upgraded or, you know, built over? He said, you know, I just don't see the meaning in it anymore. He said to his friend, he said, you know, maybe, maybe I should just like sell everything and just 
you know, go to some other country and become a missionary or something. And that's where I'd find my significance, you know, because this just has no meaning. He was miserable. The other guy did the exact same thing. Relatively speaking, was, was pretty much the same success as the other home builder. But he absolutely loved his job. Couldn't wait to go to work. Monday morning couldn't come soon enough for this guy. And he was talking about why he loved his work. He said, you know, some people, they think that what I do is I build houses. He goes, it's so much better than that. He goes, we get to sit down and we get to envision what a home will look like that will be a blessing to a family. We get to envision the people who are going to live there. And we get to think about those spaces and think, you know, how, how, can, how can this room be a, like a gathering place? You know, how can, how can relationships be formed? Because people are going to grow up in this home. This home is the central point of like family life. And so he's like, you know, people think that I build homes, but I don't build homes. I build families. Do you see the difference? Two guys doing the exact same job, but one of them can only see what he does. Bricks and mortar, the challenges, you know, whatever. The other guy, sees how his work is making a difference in the world. He sees why he does what he does. He sees why his work matters in this world. And that is the great challenge that lies before each of us. If we're going to be about the task of loving Mondays, we have got to figure out why, beyond the money, okay, beyond just, you know, the, the usual surface stuff. Why do you do what you do? If Jesus said that ultimately we are here to serve and make a difference, then why does my job matter and wh whatever my job looks like, okay, and why ultimately, how does it make a difference in this world? And if you can find that and you can keep that before you, I'm telling you, it will overcome all of these things. Now I'm going to take them away, but you will be able to get a to a place where you actually can say, I love this. Let's pray. Lord God, um, in the midst of all the, the what's that we face, in the midst of all the challenges with our work or our school or with parenting or, you know, whatever our job is, quote unquote, uh, Lord, help us to really get in touch with why we do what we do. Lord, um, there are many of us and we're just stumped right now. We don't see how our work makes a difference. We don't see why it ultimately matters, God, but, but um, it does matter to you. And so uh, help us to wrestle with it. Help us to look back and figure out how to get in touch with our why. Lord, we don't just wanna be digging holes to fill them back in. Remind us of how what we do ultimately is impacting this world and making a difference, God. And we thank you so much that we do get a chance to participate in the work of this world. And uh, Lord, we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.